3: swimming rewrote the history books at Tokyo 2020. They won eight Olympic medals in the pool, their best haul for 113 years, while the British Paralympians won more medals in the pool, 26, than anywhere else in Japan. But just a few weeks on from those highs, the worrying stats about the state of swimming in this country.
4: I'm John. And I'm Michael and this is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. And while triple Olympic champion Adam Peaty is promoting swimming on primetime TV by strutting his stuff on Strictly, a report reveals unless something is done, 2,000 pools will be forced to close within the next decade. We'll speak to Swim England's chief executive about that sinking feeling.
3: As always, we'll round up some of the other sporting headlines you might not have heard about, including cycling, climbing and canoeing, and not just sports that begin with C k- or K as my uh, little five-year-old would say. Uh, we've been reflecting further on the golf in the Olympics, and Michael will tell us why the All
4: Blacks are getting on their bikes. Is that a curly k- or a kicking cuh? K-?
3: <laughs> exactly.
4: As ever, you can get in touch anytime at anythingbutf on Twitter. You can also message us on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us online. Our website is anythingbutfooty.com. You can contact us via the contact us box on that website, or you can just drop us an email, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com.
3: Now, Tom Dean, Duncan Scott, Adam Peaty, Maisie Summers-Newton, Hannah Russell and Tom Daly, some of the British swimming stars who we celebrated winning gold with in Tokyo. And on this podcast, you can go back and listen to them uh, if you haven't heard them yet. But this is the startling headline. 2,000 pools could be lost forever by the time of the Brisbane Olympics. Swim England says that could threaten the future of aquatic sports in this country. And it's not just COVID related, but more the buildings of the 60s and 70s coming to an end of their lifespan and no replacement in certain parts of the country. So what is to be done? Michael has been speaking to Jane Nickerson, CEO of
4: Swim England. And Jane, this week Swim England has launched a report, a decade of decline, the future of swimming pools in England. Why did you commission this report and what have been the main findings?
2: We commissioned it because we are aware from our insight that we have an ageing pool stock in this country and we know that that will have a devastating effect eventually on swimming unless something is done now. So what it, what is telling us that by the end of this decade unless something substantially is done we could lose 2,000 swimming pools which is 40% of our stock and that in human terms could affect 3.8 million people.
4: Because we know, don't we, that swimming and the access to swimming pools for so many people is sometimes something that they just have to do each week, something they look forward to. The impact of it is enormous.
2: The impact on people way right through the spectrum is enormous. If you take Learn to Swim, it's absolutely imperative that every child learns to swim. It's a life skill. This isn't just about playing a sport and having fun. This can actually save your life. So it's really important every child learns to swim properly. And then moving on from that, we've got great clubs, great disciplines. And you talked about the Olympics, you know, swimming, diving, water polo, artistic swimming. What a wonderful time kids can have in those clubs, whether they're the next Adam P.T. or Tom Daly or whether their Olympics is a county championships. It's irrelevant. That's really great. You've got family funds for it. Sessions, So families going along together, enjoying the water for a Disney session. And then one of the biggest, biggest impacts is on the health and well-being. So for some people who can't exercise on land, can exercise in the water. And we have well-being programs in place, which are now saving the NHS and social care system £357 million every single year. And that's just on six conditions. And that means people aren't taking pain medication. They have less hospital episodes. They're recovering from operations quickly and it's, it's just a great mental health thing as well some people if they don't get their weekly or daily swim their mental health suffers
4: you mentioned the olympics i know your organization isn't involved in preparing our elite swimmers our elite divers for example but the knock-on effects that you guys must have seen from the most successful british olympics in the swimming pool and then a successful paralympics as well what did you find? What has been the take up of swimming and diving and the other disciplines you mentioned after that success in Tokyo? Oh,
2: it's fantastic because they are our swimmers as well. We take them up to that point when we then hand them over to British Swimming. So they've come through our club, our Learn to Swim programme. So they are ours. So we share that absolute celebration of success. But throughout the Paralympics and the Olympics, we run programmes called Inspire to Try. And our clubs open their doors to people who aren't club members to say, come along, have a go at any of our disciplines, see if you like it, see if you like being part of a club environment. And our clubs picked up no end of new members like that. Just kids who had not thought about joining a club suddenly thought, I can be the next Adam Petey. And it doesn't matter whether they never are, but they can enjoy the journey through there.
4: We all know about the impact coronavirus has had, but the report that you've released is not just about coronavirus you're saying it's an aging stock of pools so that must predate the pandemic I presume
2: it does the pandemic's made it worse and it's made some of the older pools not open at all following the pandemic so it's sort of speeded up some of that process but it's a process that's been in place because there was a big build boom in the 60s and 70s so lots and lots of facilities built there now coming to the end of their natural life and unless we have a program of replacement and refurbishment that's why we'll have the deficit by the end of the decade.
4: So what are you calling on government, on the authorities to do?
2: We know that local authorities have got major cash problems. They absolutely have, and leisure is not statutory. So if you're trying to empty the bins and you're trying to look after social care and all those other pools on your on your budget, the provision of a brand new swimming pool is likely to be fairly low down your agenda. And we're asking governments to put in a billion pound to infrastructure now to make this right to help those local authorities put in the right pool in the right place. So we're not asking for 50 meter pools everywhere. We're not asking for club pools everywhere. We're asking for the right pool in the right place. We also want to challenge some of the things that say if you've got X amount of water space and X amount of people within a 20 minute drive, that's fine. I challenge that. Is that fine? If you're a mum? that hasn't got a car at your disposal that day, you've got two kids in a push and you want to get them to the pool. How do you get them there? So the 20 minute benchmark, which can often mean that a city doesn't, or a town doesn't have a pool and you sent into the next market town, doesn't actually work. So it's about the right pool in the right place. So the money for the infrastructure, but also the plan to make sure the right pool in the right place to su- support everything we do and all the communities.
4: Have you had any feedback, reaction, from authorities from government yet
2: <laughs> not yet there's a comprehensive spend review coming up so this is a big ask in that um, i know everybody's asking for money absolutely get that What I'm saying, though, this is an investment, not expenditure, because the money comes back. It's just that on that side of Treasury spreadsheet, where they go, oh, that's a line of spending, they need to have the other line that said, this is a saving to these departments, and join the dots and see. We know that every single 25-metre pool in this country generates £7.2 million in community savings. We know that swimming itself saves the NHS and social care £357 million a year, Do the maths. A billion pound is soon, soon comes back. Add to that if you build now, you build a much more energy efficient pool, much cheaper to run, much lower energy cost, much better on the environment. So it's going to be a win-win.
4: And it's something that has to happen now?
2: It has to happen now. If we leave it too long, I mean, a pool takes a while to build. We leave it too long, the clock's ticking. Pools are closing every day now.
4: And just finally, you mentioned Adam Petey. How important is it for your sport that He's now on the dance floor and he's going for the glitter ball and Strictly Come Dancing. That's phenomenal profile for not just Adam, but for the sport of swimming as well.
2: Oh, it's wonderful because everybody will be talking about it now. People who don't even think about swimming probably in that context, who may go and learn to swim and go to the pool and that. Suddenly they've got this star from the Olympics on their prime Saturday night family viewing because it is family viewing for everybody, isn't it? It's wonderful. Looking absolutely fantastic. But being quite humble about it, he's not, you know, I'm not the great I am. I thought it was lovely the way he called himself an inverted triangle and said, I'm used to being horizontal in things. So it's just great fun. It's a lot of fun and it
4: helps. And I know during the pandemic, he was helpful to swim England in some of the publicity and some of the media activity that he did. I think he showed during the Olympics what a tremendous spokesperson he is on the wider mental health agenda, on the sport on just people being active and and having fun in the swimming pool as well it is
2: about that it's all about fun and I don't think Adam would be the swimmer he is if he hadn't have enjoyed it on the way through Adam's enjoyed his training he's enjoyed everything since he learned to swim he wasn't too keen when he first started to learn to swim he was actually a bit scared of the water which we think is a lovely story because now look but if he hadn't have enjoyed that journey and hadn't have had fun on the way through he wouldn't be on that podium now
4: So what's your final message to the people listening about what we need to do now for the future of swimming and the societal joined-up approach that we talked about earlier?
2: Please do a joint look at this, Government, across all your departments. This is schools, this is DfE, this is health, this is education, this is sport, it's everything. Find the money to make sure we've got the infrastructure that makes sure we've got a nation of happy and Successful summers of all our disciplines, recreational summers, and people in the water for health and wellbeing needs.
4: Perfect. Thank you very much for your time.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for doing this for us, Michael. We appreciate it.
4: Well, I think we heard from Jane there the maths of it all, and we heard the theory behind it. And when you listen to Jane, she makes, for me, a pretty compelling argument a billion pounds does seem like a lot of money. And we have to put this in the context of all the extra money that has been spent over the last 18 months, two years, having gone through nationally in the UK, this period of austerity, and we were cutting quangos and things like that. And then suddenly you go into a global pandemic and businesses are being bailed out 10, 11 years on from banks being bailed out in a credit crunch of course and you wonder whether a billion pound on swimming pools seems like a good investment and that is the top line of it and you think that is an awful lot of money to spend on community public swimming pools in towns and cities up and down the country but jane makes that point doesn't she that it's not just about the swimming pools this is that joined up approach it's about education it's about health it's about fitness it's about mental well-being and ultimately when we've all been on our streets clapping the National Health Service in the past year or so, and it has been shown to be an organisation that we value, we cherish, and we want to protect. If we want to value it, cherish it, and protect it, swimming can be part of that solution in the nuts and bolts of the finances moving forward.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I heard Gary Neville on the radio the other day talking about the magic money tree People were saying to him, well, there isn't this magic money tree. And he was very forthright in saying, well, they found money in the last 18 months. Now, at some point, as you say, we all know we have to pay that back. But what's important? Is it, as you rightly say, about having loans in the right place, banks sorted out moving forward? Or is it about education, health, sport, as you and Jane have rightly said, you can use all of this money and getting people being healthy and active to then help the NHS. If people are healthy and active... They're not going to their GPs. They're not going to their, their hospitals. They're A&E departments, which are under strain and under stress. I think she said we, they could save £350 million of NHS money a week if people were swimming. And there are some great clubs out there. We've worked with a few, Michael, in, in the past year. City of Manchester, Stockport Metro, Derby. They're all out there. The Coventry uh, Swimming Club as well. They're all out there and they're doing their best for the young people. And then we see the benefit of that. This is the whole point of this podcast, that we celebrate our successes in the Olympics and Paralympics. Now, it's not, as Jane said, it's not just about those and the future Adam Peeteys, the future Tom Dailies, the future Hannah Russells, but it's a part of it. And if you join it all up, and boy, wouldn't the world be a better place if we could just join everything up and be sensible about something and and really push forward. It would be a huge benefit for the country. And I think it's not just swimming. I think it could be any sport that me and you talk about on a weekly basis on anything but footy.
4: Yep, and British Cycling have been doing it with a recent launch, as we know, on our Great British Bosses podcast. Um, Recently, we were talking about how they are looking to try and get into different and more diverse communities because cycling is part of the solution, athletics is part of the solution, swimming is part of the solution as well. And I know, and Jane is right, this isn't just about COVID, but I think what COVID and what the pandemic has taught us, that if people were generally healthier, then some of those astonishing and... Outrageous figures that we've seen reported on a daily basis over the past 18 months or so would not have been as high if the health of the nation, the public health of the nation, was better. Now, when I'm not doing this podcast and when I'm not reporting on things like the Olympic Games, as you know, I work quite a lot with the National Health Service locally where I live in the northeast of England. And there is a huge, huge drive in the National Health Service. One, because they can't deliver a lot of their services face-to-face at the moment. But there is a huge drive to get people healthier and fitter. Because if you are going in for an operation, whether that is an emergency operation or a planned operation, you will do better if you have exercised, if you are generally fit, if you don't smoke, if you don't drink. Now, you don't need to do seven years at medical school to know that. You should know that. You should know that if you're going in for a hip replacement, a knee replacement, any kind of routine operation that the National Health Service are going to get back to doing and are getting back to doing, you will do better. Your outcome will be improved. Your recovery time will be quicker if you have taken some steps to get fit and get healthy in advance. And what better way to do it than those three sports we mentioned? Athletics, pretty much anyone can go out and have a little run. Cycling, bikes, I know they're hard to get hold of. I know some bikes are expensive, but generally it's pretty accessible sport. And swimming, if we improve the facilities and we get our pools back up to standard, swimming becomes a very, very recognisable and quite cheap option here.
3: Well said. This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. Watch out for episodes coming up in the weeks to come as we count down to the Winter Olympics in Beijing. It's about 130 days away now. It's going to be a big winter. There'll be more breakfast time fun, waking up, seeing who's won results. And it'll be our first Winter Games as Anything But Footy, Michael.
4: Really looking forward to getting on the snow and ice. We will be slipping and sliding and skating and skiing. But let's talk climbing before we uh, really focus on the Winter Olympics and indeed the Winter Paralympics. Britain's Hamish MacArthur has won the bronze medal in what was his very first senior event at the World Climbing Championships in the same year that he was crowned double junior world champion. He came third in the lead final, where you climb as high as you can in six minutes. You probably remember watching some of the sport climbing in Tokyo at the Olympics. He finished seventh in the boulder class. For me, it was a terrific addition to the Tokyo 2020. 20 program and I think that Great Britain will get better in subsequent editions if the sport stays there 10 British climbers in action overall in the world championships in Moscow
3: and there are also six medalists for the para climbing team too now this isn't a Paralympic event as yet but they're hoping to get the sport into the 2028 Los Angeles Paralympics uh, gold medals for Matthew Phillips and Abby Robinson in Moscow and after the success in Tokyo, British canoeists back on the water in the World Sprint and Slalom Championships. So many medals to talk to you about here. The Paralympic champions Charlotte Henshaw and Laura Sugar added world titles to their achievements in the summer in the Para Sprint Canoe, KL2 and KL3 categories respectively. Emma Wiggs and Hope Gordon both won silvers In those events as well. So a British 1-2. A double British 1-2 in effect. Henshaw and Gordon also came 1-2. First and second, gold and silver in the VL3 final. And Wiggs defended her world crown in the VL2 crown. There was a men's British 1-2 in the VL3 for Stuart Wood and Jack Ayres. And Paralympic bronze medalist Rob Oliver won silver in the men's KL3. And Lizzie Broughton silver in the K1000 and 5000 of bronze in that.
4: Quite a haul
3: for the para canoe stars.
4: And what a brilliant group of people they are having sort of got to meet many of them and get to know some of them over the past year, 80 months. Rob Oliver was one of my favourite interviewees. This was a guy who um, got seriously injured playing football, obviously, now a medalist at the Paralympics and, and a really terrific interview with Rob Oliver. really enjoyed meeting him during the Games. On to the whitewater version of canoeing, though, in Bratislava. An Olympic silver medalist, Mallory Franklin, celebrated with a team gold medal in the K1. It was a clean run from Kimberly Woods, Mallory Franklin and Fiona Penny, which saw them finish over five seconds clear of the field in Slovakia.
3: And that continues over the weekend, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Talking about continuing over the weekend, Michael covered the World Road Cycling Championships in Yorkshire a few years ago. Well, Belgium is hosting it this week as well. Uh, Michael has fond memories of the World Cycling Championships in Yorkshire. Is that where you got COVID, Michael? (laughs)
4: <laughs> that that is well no because i don't think covid was a thing at the time but i definitely got wet and i definitely you, got you cold were, and
3: you were really ill weren't you afterwards
4: i was really quite ill afterwards and then just as <laughs> i got better uh the global pandemic hit around the the christmas time so yeah lots of people say i got i was patient zero <laughs>
3: <laughs> now excitingly in 2023 glasgow will host the first ever world cycling championships that's all the road races and the track cyclists as well, together in one championship. We're describing it
4: as the Cycling Olympics. I think that's going to be a terrific event for Glasgow, to bring all the different cycling disciplines together like that and have one big World Championships in a city that we know loves its sport, delivers and will deliver a great game. So I think that's going to be another event that really captures the imagination. And talking of British cycling, after another Hugely successful Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics, of course. Uh, they will be contenders for that event in Glasgow and cheered on, I'm sure, by a lot of people there that will be desperate to see some British success. Continuing, though, with the event this week, Zoe Baxter won silver in the junior women's time trial and Josh Tarling did the same in the men's. Now, in the mixed team event, Dan Bigham, Alex Dowsett, John Archibald, Josh Loudon, Alice Barnes and Anna Henderson finished fifth in the time trial. Also in Flanders this week Olympic champion Tom Pidcock uh, the legend that is Mark Cavendish who's committed I think to race for the Isle of Man again at the Commonwealth Commonwealth Games Games, in Birmingham in 2022 which is a great coup for for Birmingham and Ethan Hayter fresh from second place in the Tour of Britain along with Lizzie Dignan all competing in a team of 30 cyclists
3: Well, still to come, we'll talk athletics, wheelchair basketball, badminton and judo. We spent a few weeks reflecting on the Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics, and we really wanted to discuss a little bit more about golf in the Olympics. It's the Ryder Cup this weekend. It was the Solheim Cup. Congratulations to Europe uh, for winning that across the pond a few weeks ago. But what to do with golf in Paris, L.A. and Brisbane? Because we're not saying, Michael, that... It shouldn't be there. We were there in Rio. You were uh, captured, of course, with Justin Rose doing the Rosebud uh, celebration uh, that uh, you and him came up with. And he obviously enjoyed and won that gold medal. And it was great that, that Britain came back in the first time in 100 years that golf was back in the Olympics. But I wonder whether I, mean, I didn't watch any of it in Tokyo. You interviewed quite a few of the, uh, the, the British men. Um, I can't tell you where the British women finished at all. And I think we probably on the BBC showed about an hour of the four days of the men's stroke play. So what's your, where's your head at with golf?
4: One, I think it should be in the games. I love it. And I think the golf fraternity are beginning to fall in love with it as well. I liken it a bit to when tennis entered in Seoul in 1988. And I think it took three or four editions of the games to get going and I think golf will I think the lineup in Tokyo is an improvement on the lineup in Rio from a British point of view of course no medal this time I think that was one of the reasons why we all got quite into it in Rio because Justin Rose was competing for the gold or silver medal on the final day and ended up winning the gold it's a difficult sport though I think to follow at the Olympic Games in its current format because it's a 72-hole stroke play competition. So essentially, it's the same as what you would watch in the Masters or the Open. Now, the great thing about watching the, the Open or the Masters, and you know I'm a, a huge golf fan, love it, mm. is you. it's like a soap opera. You get into it at, you know with the Open at 7 o'clock on Thursday <laughs> morning, and you watch it till 7 in the evening, and then you do it again, and then you do it again, and then you do it on the final day, and things unfold. Purely and simply, unless you're watching the stream, you can't do that with Olympic golf. And what happens, certainly with the TV coverage on the BBC, is essentially they show the final hour of the final day. But you've not seen any of the backstories, you've not got to know the characters. I go back to that metaphor of it as being a soap opera. You haven't seen what's happened on the Thursday or the Friday, so why do you care? on the sunday when it's getting to its climax and i know why they wanted to try and replicate the kind of masters us open grand slam kind of format because they wanted to make it equal and i get that and they wanted to say look an olympic gold medal is exactly the same as a claret jug or a green jacket it's it's an equal kind of achievement but i do wonder whether for golf to capture the imagination they need to tweak adjust that format and there's a couple of ideas one we keep the 72 uh whole stroke play but you bring in a team event so then suddenly those people like tommy fleetwoods who was representing team gb in tokyo suddenly even though he's 30 on the leaderboard actually his final few holes could be important because for him and for paul casey and for team gb there could be a team medal up for grabs yeah and the great thing about that of course is it's another medal But it's not another venue, it's not more competitors, it's not another sport. So that is one option, I think, and that is probably the more realistic option, judging by where I think the golf authorities are at the minute. And could that be mixed
3: as well? Could you actually have them across the men and women's?
4: Potentially, or you would have a men's team event and a women's team event. There is the movement in the Olympics, as we know, in swimming, in triathlon, in athletics, for mixed team events. And that, for me, is the second option, is you rip up the existing format of Olympic golf and you do bring in some kind of mixed team event where you maybe have four players two men two women or two players one man one woman representing their country and they do it maybe in more of a match play thing and then I think when you go back to that soap opera thing that I was talking about from a viewer you would say oh Great Britain are facing Canada in their first match and you would watch a bit of that and you would see them progress to the next round of the The competition a bit like you would in hockey or rugby sevens for example so from a broadcasting point of view you could dip in and see the final four or five holes and you would see great britain proceed and then play whoever and you would do it 32 teams to 16 to eight to four and then you would have a final and you would have seen and you would have been able to follow that tournament better i think than the existing format
3: you mentioned about the hockey. I remember doing that in Rio where the British women... And even in, in Tokyo, when the British women won their won their bronze, it suddenly became apparent, because we'd followed what their results were during the tournament, These they're going to win here, they're going to win a medal, they're going to win a, a gold medal in, in Rio. And even in, in Tokyo, I was watching the badminton scores each day, and Lauren Smith and Marcus Ellis, the mixed doubles team, won their first three matches, and suddenly they were in the quarterfinals. But because you kind of got an update each day, you were... Um, as you said, you were involved with them. You were engaged with them. You wanted to know who they were going to play in the next round. And I think that's the issue with golf. You mentioned tennis as well. I think tennis was went in and tried to make it as big as a slam. And I think they have achieved that. We may be slightly biased because Andy Murray's won it twice. Um, but remember Steffi Graf doing that famous uh, calendar slam in in eighty eight when it when it first happened. But they also, Michael, they didn't in the men's game. You only play three sets up until the final when you then play five. So they have slightly changed it. And I think with golf, and hopefully the R&A are listening, um, hopefully uh, 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 Thomas Bach is listening to anything but footy, and they can just sit down and go, we love golf being part of the Olympics, but how can we make it better? How can we get more people engaged? How can we get young people playing it? And I think when you'll see it with the Ryder Cup, and I certainly watched... Every evening during the Solheim Cup, you get this this atmosphere and this team atmosphere and this drive, and you get involved in it as a viewer. Um, and I think that is really what was slightly missing from a from a golf point of view in in the Olympics.
4: Team golf, as a spectator, as an enthusiast, is better than individual golf. Individual golf is fascinating. I love it. I I will literally watch every minute that I possibly can of. Any golf tournament I can get, whether that's the majors, whether that's the European tour the US tour, but there's something special about team golf.
3: And it's like cricket. They're not going to the Commonwealth Games. There's women's cricket at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham next year in Edgbaston. They're not going there and playing test matches. They're going there and playing 2020 because that is a, an easier watch, uh, an introduction to the sport, and then people get fans of it, and then you learn the, the different disciplines. And I think that may be what golf needs to do.
4: Yes or no, 2020 cricket for LA 2028. Because there is a big movement at the minute to try and get cricket on the programme. The argument being that India traditionally are a nation of a huge population that don't really have much interest in the Olympics, certainly don't win many medals. Plus America is this other huge untapped area where cricket wants to try and get in. So for for the IOC to hit India and to hit America cricket in the games yes or no yes you're listening to anything but footy the olympic and paralympic sport podcast uh, we're all for cricket in the games in 2028 20, uh, let's move on to athletics though and stand by for six marathons in the next six weeks Woo. as world athletics elite platinum series takes place with a seventh race the final in valencia in december starting this weekend in berlin then london on my birthday Chicago, Boston, Amsterdam and New York will see top-class athletes and mass fields of fun runners competing as well. I can't wait. I love the yeah. London Marathon. Brilliant event.
3: Going to be good and good to see it back. Now, unfortunately, COVID has cancelled the world Cross country championships in Australia early next year. The 2022 event in Bathurst will now take place in February 2023. And it has been another tough week for British athletics. The UK governing body of the sport, of course, in this country, with Charlie Webster's documentary on BBC iPlayer about the abuse she and others suffered as a teenager at an athletics club. It was good to see Joanna Coates, the CEO, issue a personal statement saying she's been clear since taking over. Everybody must feel safe to come forward and tell us what's going on if they don't then they will have failed and I think it's important that Coates will now get further support and help as the organisation continues to change and move forward they've now appointed a new chairman in Ian Beattie the former chair of Scottish Athletics and a club member himself and that might go some way to answer some murmurings of concern about the lack of athletics experience at the top of the organisation.
4: Wheelchair basketball could be back in the Paris Paralympics after the IPC decided the governing body for the sport had changed its classification rules sufficiently to comply with the IPCs. Good news for Great Britain, whose men won the bronze in Tokyo.
3: Two of our favourite Olympic sports that need to get more coverage, British Judo, are taking their Tokyo Roadshow on tour, which will see a number of Olympic teams visiting clubs around the country to deliver Judo technical masterclasses. Chelsea Giles is one of them, as she, of course, grabbed the headlines for a few hours as the first Team GB medalist in Tokyo. That seems a long time ago now. Um, Badminton England have been running their own big hit week as well, a series of events across the country in order to get members back on court and playing after the pandemic and pledging inclusivity as well in the sport with Paralympic medalist Dan Bethel and Kristen Coombs involved in encouraging the next generation of disabled players.
4: And finally, bike? the UK smart bike company, has announced a partnership with the All Blacks and Black Ferns New Zealand national rugby teams. Now, Wattbike is now the official performance bike of the two sides. They're known to us, of course, as they work closely with British Cycling on developing what they described as the ultimate indoor smart bike. They've also worked with many of the organisations that we talk about regularly on this podcast. People like Team GB, the England football team. Don't talk about them so much, although (laughs) we do talk about the women's England football team. And Red Bull as well, also a Wattbike client. And All Blacks coach Nick Gill has been telling us how training in rugby has evolved following the announcement of this partnership.
1: I know uh, a lot of retired players from the early, you know, from the 90s and early 2000s who, who didn't enjoy training, they enjoyed rugby. So when they stopped playing rugby, they, they got out of shape. Whereas now I actually genuinely see most of our athletes enjoy training, enjoy being fit, enjoy being strong. And when they stop being a rugby player, they'll remain fit. So there's definitely a, a greater appreciation of what it takes to be a professional. And, you know, just, just the little things, you know, like how you recover and look after your body, you know, knowing that if you don't do these things right, your career might only be three years long. But if you do all these little things right and listen to the experts, you might be in the sport for 20 years. You know, so there's a, 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 great better, a far greater appreciation of what it means to be professional. But even the development pathways, you know, the academies and things that players are coming through, the, the training years they've got under their belt before they reach the international level. Um, that foundation is bigger, so it means their peak can be greater. There's lots of things that, that I suppose um, lead to what we have you know, in most national teams now. You know, Our players in New Zealand get eight weeks' leave, and when I started, eight weeks' leave for the Mint, I don't have to do much, and I'll turn up at, at, at work in eight weeks, and I'll just get into it. That doesn't happen anymore. The, the, these, these athletes don't stop. We, we go into quarantine at the end of the year, and, and they'll train every day in quarantine. And if I didn't give them a program, they'd do their own stuff. That they're learning and realising, generally speaking, that it's far easier to stay healthy and fit than let yourself go a little bit and try and get back there because it's hard to get back.
4: As ever, you can get in touch anytime with us. Find us on Twitter. Get involved in the conversation there at anythingbutf. Drop us a message on Instagram or on Facebook. Find us online, anythingbutfooty.com, or you can email us, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com.
3: Now, as we've been hearing, sport changes lives. The power of sport has been shown this summer with huge GB success in the Olympics and Paralympics. But as we all return to some kind of normal at school, at work, watching Premier League football at the weekends, let's not forget the heroes, those who surprised and thrilled us, those that cried tears of joy and tears of pain. They're still working week in, week out to deliver more British glory. Our aim at anything but footy is to keep on talking about them when it's not games time. If you like what you've heard, please follow us and tell your friends. There is more out there than the usual. There's more than footy. There is anything but footy.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network
1: Step into the world of power, loyalty,